Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Firefly Willows L.I.V.E. presents Evolve. Featuring your host, Robin White Turtle Lisney. So I'm here at the Catamaran Writing Conference, and I'm with its founder and director, Catherine Segerson. Is that right? Yes. Yes, Segerson. thank you. Segerson. And um, uh, she is the creator of Catamaran Magazine, as well as the creator of this incredible conference, which we've been in all week. And uh, I just wanted to welcome you. Thanks for being a part oh, of Oh, thank you. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. I'm glad you're here with us and yeah. that I met you on our, was it the Steinbeck tour? Yeah. And um, heard about this wonderful radio show you're doing. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, um, what was your motivation? There are many, many writing conferences, as I'm sure you're aware. And I just wanted to ask you, you've created such a unique one here. I just wanted to ask, what was your motivation for getting the conference uh, this particular kind of format, uh, because it's been a, a really wonderfully packed week, but and you know it, it has a very different style than some writing conferences that I've been to. So, did you have a particular inspiration for it? Uh, well, I before I did this conference, I'd been to a number of conferences all over the world in different countries, and then uh, one of the and I I went to conferences for both writing and for fine art. And um, one of my particular favorites was at the Tuscany Institute for Advanced Studies. They were just doing fine art. Mm -hmm. And I came to paint, and I ended up writing poetry, and they were really flexible. They wanted me to just read my poems to the artists. And I, and so I, I, I ended up, the director there asked me to find their instructors and so for about two years after that, I worked for them, helping them create new workshops. And um, so their approach is one that I uh, was inspired by because they were bringing artists to do art in the location of the masters, in the where the Renaissance painters did their work. Mm. And uh, so we've started Catamaran in the Monterey uh, Bay Area because uh, we wanted to make it part of our mission to be inspired by the literary legacy of this area. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that was a, you know, that was part of the mission of Catamaran, the magazine. Mm -hmm. And then a year later, I continued that mission forward for where we were going to do our conference. And we looked at a lot of different venues, and we researched, you know, for three or four months, but in particular, I liked the name of this school, Robert Louis Stevenson. Yes. And in particular, it's right here where uh, 
John Steinbeck, Robinson Jeffers, Robert Louis Stevenson, and a whole slew of other artists and writers were inspired to do uh, their their work that has become literary legacy in our in our time. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, the main thing. I didn't want to do it just anywhere. I wanted it to resonate. The place and the setting had to resonate with the work. Mm-hmm. And so that was my motivation for doing it here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's an incredible setting, and we couldn't be in a better school for this because it's uh, imbued with, you know, Stevenson's legacy here and also we have Steinbeck not too far away so Steinbeck Center and um, and then we went to Tor House this week which was so exciting oh, yeah. to go to Robertson Jeffers place so that was that was a really uh, exciting tour and we've done a number of different uh, excursions including uh, Point Lobos so right it's been a terrific week so that was part of it you know when uh, when I first experienced and, and other other uh, workshops I had attended did something similar, and I really enjoyed that part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a work sh- uh, uh, a workshop in Prague, and then we would get kind of um, breaks where we would get immersed in the local culture. And mm-hmm. I got to see where Kafka wrote the castle, looking at the castle. Oh wow! And then when I was in Lithuania, we would take excursions. Uh, and I just learned so much uh-huh. about the history of the people and those poets in uh, what was such a suppressed uh, region for so long. Yeah. And, and and part of my learning and education was just immersing in their culture yeah. and where they did their work. Yeah. So I wanted to bring that here. And um, even our excursion to Point Lobos, while it's a hike, uh, that point was what... Uh, that particular point is Treasure Island. It is the point that Robert Louis Stevenson had in his mind mm-hmm. when he created Treasure Island. So it does have sort of a resonance yeah. into his literary work. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's fabulous. And yeah, Robinson Jeffers. Just to go in Robinson Jeffers' bedroom. And from his bed, he could see Point Lobos and see where Stevenson had created uh, the setting uh-huh. and just to stand there where in his tower where his desk still is yes. and to look around at the trees he planted when he was here so long ago that are that are grand and part of his legacy in Carmel yes. and then to go to that unique place in uh, Cannery Row the Ricketts Lab that's the only really preserved building there from the time when it was all canneries and Steinbeck was sitting in there mm-hmm. with Ricketts, mm-hmm. having drinks and mm-hmm. doing some writing too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I really liked it when um, Jay Nichols, who wrote Blue Mind, said he was on the Sea of Cortez doing his re- research with the log of the Sea of Cortez in his back pocket. Oh. And then, uh, and then he gave a talk in Ricketts' bedroom, uh-huh. and I had to say, now, now. You are in Ricketts' back pocket. <laughs> yes, yes. So it feels so poetic to bring yes. it out into the culture. Like well, and it adds to the integrity of the conference, too, to have it in a resonant place, you know, where literature has been so imbued in the landscape, really. So, yeah. Yeah, and I'm hoping all the participants are taking a little bit of that with them. Yes. That inspiration and just being here on this land. Yes. That that'll stay with you when you go back to where you've come from to do your writing. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, the sense of place, of course, in literature is 
so important in so many different forms of writing, whether it's novels or poetry. Or yeah, I heard um, uh, many participants were responding to Karen Joy Fowler's talk mm -hmm. uh, when I asked her those two hard questions, what was the hardest for you to do? And that's plot for her was the hardest. And what comes easy for you? And and then she just opened up about setting and how that was so important mm -hmm. to all her writing. And that setting, you know, was one of the things that really came naturally to her. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's so important to good writing and yes. and to see that she, even though she had a few really harsh rejections over her inability to to um, you know, get the plots uh, really clear. <laughs> she made it quite far, about as far as you can go, yes. with just sticking to setting. Yeah. So. Yes. Yes. That's fantastic. Well, and that was a wonderful talk the other night. So, we have just been having such a great time here, and I just want to thank you for creating this incredible conference. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. It's a, like been a lifelong dream for me to actually do this, and, uh. and all of you make it what it is yeah yeah thank you so <laughs> much well it's great to talk to you and this is robin white turtle listney and we're on the show evolve hi welcome back this is robin white turtle listney and this show is evolve and i'm at catamaran writing conference and i'm with francis lefkowitz and she's the author of To Have Not, a memoir of growing up poor in the 70s in San Francisco, formerly a book reviewer for Good Housekeeping and the senior editor of Body and Soul magazine, Frances is now a freelance writer, editor, and teacher. Her fiction and nonfiction appear in both literary and consumer magazines. Welcome, Frances. It's so nice to meet you and to uh, interview you here at Catamaran. Thank you. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your book and where... Uh, what you've been writing about um, with this new book, To Have and Have Not. Yeah, so To Have Not is, um, it came out a couple of years ago, so it's not it's not the new book, um, uh -huh. but it's um, a memoir about growing up poor, white, and female in San Francisco in the 1970s, getting a scholarship to an Ivy League college back east, and discovering the downside of upward mobility. Uh -huh. And it's really a look at class in America, crossing class lines and um, illuminating sort of taboos uh, about that we don't talk about money and, and that aspect of our lives very often. Mm -hmm. And also about uh, the different forms of poverty that... Um, you can be born poor in money, but you can also be born poor in affection or support. Or So there's a lot of ways that people relate to the book, mm -hmm. um, even if their finances were different from my family's. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's great. Now, you, you've written another book? That, uh, well, I'm working a on a book now that's a memoir about mm -hmm. learning to surf at age 36. Oh. And um, breaking my neck, doing it at mm -hmm. age 44 and then going back to it a, a year later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's a, I, I hope it speaks to non-surfers as well. That's the goal, <laughs> that it, yeah. it's about fear and when to listen to fear and when to push past it. Um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. And you read an excerpt of that last night yes. at the faculty yeah. reading, which was really wonderful. I was spellbound oh, by it. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that's a piece It's called Mine 
sounded like an earthquake. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is kind of like a, a piece, I'm, I'm calling this work micro-memoir. Uh-huh. So because I've been writing a lot of flash fiction, which people are now sort of learning that term, yeah. very, very short stories, sometimes a paragraph, sometimes maybe a page and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, as I've been writing them, I've also been writing things that are true. And so I can't call them fiction. Mm-hmm. So I thought I would give them their own alliterative title and call them micro-memoir. Mm, I love the title. <laughs> yeah, because micro-memoir, you know, because uh, often they're bio- autobiographical. I mean, a little fiction, fact, flesh fiction things. I mean, they don't have to be, but... Ninety-nine percent of what we write is, yes. is autobiographical. Well, I, I disagree for myself. Oh. Yeah, uh-huh. that um, some of my fiction draws on my own life. Uh-huh. So there's definitely some autobiographical fiction, but there's also plenty where I'm inventing characters, speaking from a, an aging baseball pro's point yeah. of view. And, uh-huh. Yeah. So it is a little different when I when I talk about my myself, but. Yeah, it needs to have its own separate little category. Right, yeah. right, right. Well, I love that idea of um, micro-flesh fiction or yeah. micro-flesh autobiography or memoir, yeah. you know, flesh yeah. memoir. So that's terrific. And now what were you teaching? Were you teaching memoir here? Or yes. Were you teaching, uh-huh? So I was teaching memoir, and I had um, seven people all working on just a range of projects uh-huh. and at a range of stages and uh, several of them are working on books, and and one woman has never published anything, and um, so it was really a range, and uh, we just had a great productive time. Yeah, that's great. I, I know we had a lot of uh, very hardworking students in this seminar. I mean, the whole conference was uh, were a lot of people, some very accomplished, yeah, and published, and others, um, uh, you know, new to writing or they've been writing a few years. So it's quite a nice variety. It is, yeah. and I, I was so surprised last night to see at the student reading that many of them read from their own book. Yeah. Other conferences I've taught at, the, most of the students don't already have books. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, it is a range, and it was great to have it within one classroom, uh-huh. um, and uh-huh. everybody got something. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, well, I thought the the reading last night, we had a student faculty or faculty student reading, and we got to hear a little from everybody, or at least a, a, a cross-section of people, and uh, it was a wonderful reading. Yeah. It was so fun. Yeah. Yeah, and people were here till 11 o'clock last night. Yeah. And still doing it. From so. 7 to 11. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. So it's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate uh, your time, and is there anything else you want to share uh, about the conference or about um, your writing that you'd like to share with my my audience? Oh, well, one audience? of the projects that I'm working on right now is I, I started a program called the Community Memoir Project. <gasps> and it's a, kind of like a one-woman organization, but I've received grants um, to do this in several places. And what it is is I bring free memoir writing workshops to public libraries. Oh, wonderful. And so it's a six to eight week program and we meet one night a week and we talk about diversity and Uh this is why I designed it for libraries Uh because it's one of the last few places where, you know, you get every kind of everybody in there from every walk of life and every age. And um, so I offer the 
the classes for free, and um, I have to get funding in order to pay myself. Um, yeah. But and then I produce a book of, of the writing at uh-huh. the end, and I've done it five times now in the Berkeley uh, Public Library, the Oakland Public Library, and the um, Point Reyes Station Public Library oh, in Sonoma County. Yes, great. And I'm I'm just always looking for ways to expand it. It feels like my mission, uh-huh. uh, my calling, uh-huh. to try and to be the person who can help um, regular, quote-unquote, people get their stories down. Yeah. And they're so valuable, and they're fascinating stories, and everybody has one. Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's kind of a side project I'm working on. Oh, it's a fabulous project. Now, tell me what you love about memoir, because it sounds like you're so involved in it in a way that I don't always hear other authors, you know, they're writing a memoir on the side along with their fiction or whatever, right. but it sounds like you're very involved in memoir. Well, I am kind of known for it now, so uh-huh. I sort of have to remind people that I also write fiction. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, now that's what the book is publishing and then the second book I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, There's so many things about it, but but in terms of this project, um, it it has a lot of different goals, um, and one of them is to remind all of us that we all have valuable stories, mm-hmm. that our stories, the stories of our lives, matter as much as the stories of rock stars and politicians and kings and queens and the people who make the news that that the little people on the ground are also part of history mm-hmm. um and our common experience and i'm not saying that everybody should be a writer that everybody has a book in them um etc cetera, etc cetera, but i am saying that Everybody has at least one story from their life that's worth writing down, and if they are a writer, then they can write it down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the great thing about the library workshops is that everyone is Mm self-selected. They may be very timid, and they often are, very Mm -hmm. timid writers, but they're people who are interested in words. Mm -hmm. And I just feel that if you are interested, then you're eager to learn, and I can teach you some skills to get your stories down. And I feel like we're writing a history of the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And I imagine in some perfect world that every library branch in the country produces a book of the stories of the people who live in their community and mm-hmm. where they came from and what they're doing. And that's um, like the patchwork quilt of social history of the United States. Yeah, I love that, that you know every local community could have a collection of their own people right there. And at the Berkeley yeah. Library, we do it almost every year now. Uh-huh. Oh, um, with great? a different group of people. Uh-huh. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll so, have to get you to come to Santa Cruz. I <laughs> would love it. It's all about the funding. Yeah. I just have to get it. You know, I apply yeah. for grants and then I do it. I get the money to do it in one place and then, you know, reapply it. It's a little exhausting because I'm also trying to write my own yeah. material and make a living. And But um, yeah, I'm looking for I'm actually looking into corporate sponsorship right now. Uh-huh. Um, I have I'm associated with a nonprofit, so uh-huh. I have a fiscal sponsor. Um, so all funds and donations are tax deductible. Uh-huh. Um, oh, so great. yeah, so I have this wonderful organization, Poetry Flash in Berkeley, that's mm-hmm. been promoting the arts for 
30 or 40 years in the Bay Area, and they um, they handle all the, the funding mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so next Great. stop, you know, I'll be knocking on Twitter's door. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a reasonable request because, uh, you know, we think that the Silicon Valley is made of corporations, but it's not. It's made of people, and there are people from all over the world. And many, many, many immigrant stories, and and you know, all of us that aren't Native Americans are immigrants anyway. So we all have come from somewhere else, and yeah. I think it's a really valuable thing to to support. Yeah, it it does a couple things. Also, um, you know, the secret mission is that it it actually builds bridges within communities mm-hmm. because when you're sitting there telling your most vulnerable stories uh, to, to a stranger who's maybe of another race or religion or age, mm-hmm. um, at, suddenly they're hearing and seeing you for the actual individual person that you are mm-hmm. and vice versa. Um, so there is a, a wonderful bonding um, that goes on. And um, the other thing is that Many of these Silicon Valley um, corporations are, in fact, triggering uh, very rapid gentrification in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And this is a way that they can give back because this is sort of a neighborhood preservation Mm -hmm. through the arts um, project. Mm -hmm. I I am not a politician or a policymaker. I don't know how to solve these problems, but as a writer and a writing teacher and coach, what I can do is try and capture these voices of Mm -hmm. these neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it's not to capture them because they're disappearing forever, but maybe so that people can see how alive they are. Right, right. I think that's so valuable. And where do you teach, Francis? Oh, I teach writing workshops all over. So I'm not not associated with the university. Uh I'm not a college teacher. I'm Uh not an English teacher. I just teach at conferences like this and writing workshops. Oh, great. Wherever anybody wants me to come, yeah. I'll, I'll go teach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great, great. Well, I so appreciate your interview, and it's, it's been a delight to be at this conference. And uh, I know that you've probably, it sounds like you really enjoyed your students, and I'm sure they enjoyed you. It was a, yeah. a tremendous uh, opportunity to be here. Yeah, and to put a plug in for the conference, because I'm not a salesperson usually, and I'm I'm very, you know, timid with spending money. But this really is an incredible value yes. because it's four days and three hours a day of instruction with the same group, mm-hmm. um, and the groups are really pretty small. And then in the afternoon, they have seven or eight different uh, lectures on craft or chances to meet with um, agents and publishers. And, and then at night, there's two more of the things. So I'm astounded at how rich it is. Yes, um, yes. And how many people were attending right up until, like, the the slam events around the fire at yes. night and, you know, until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So it, it was marvelous to see the sustainability of everybody because it, it's such a love for all of yeah. us. And, uh, yeah, but the main thing activities. is that you you get this four days in a row every morning for mm-hmm. three hours. Mm-hmm. You're working on your craft mm-hmm. with it, and it's an intensive, you know. And we come back the next day and we can refer to what we talked about before. And people learned so much. Mm-hmm. They did. Yeah, they and then did. they got to sort of have fun and and learn whatever else they wanted to on top of that. Yeah. 
Well, and what I enjoy is that we're all eating together, so you get to sit with your teachers if you want to, or you know, you you get a chance to sit with the other students and learn more about them. So it's, yeah. it's a great intimate little setting yeah. and beautiful setting too. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Francis. I appreciate this interview, and I've been with Francis Leskowitz, who's a teacher and a writer, and uh, focuses on memoir. And we're at Catamaran Writing Conference. And this is Robin White Turtle Lismy, and the show is Evolve. This is some of the jazz that we experienced during the conference right before the very first part of the section. Evolve, nurturing the new in consciousness, the arts, and culture, with your host, Robin White Turtle Lisney. Evolve brings you people and ideas on the cutting edge of change, opening the shells of the past to move our culture into the now. We are all in great need of sustainable ideas for change. Evolve brings you the wise, the foolish, and the heart-based to help us meet the challenges of our times. Join us the third Thursday of the month at 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Evolve. With me right now is Octavio Solis, and he is a San Francisco-based playwright and director. He's the author of over 23 plays, as well as the collaborative works including Cloudlands, Burning Dreams, and Shiner. His latest work is uh, Se Llama Cristino, Cristina. Cristina, oops, sorry, will receive its New York premiere in April 2015. Just so did. Just did? You just went through it? That's so great. So these has received uh, numerous awards and grants, including the National Latino Playwriting Award for 2003, a United States Artist Fellowship in 2012, and most recently, a 2014 Penn Center Literary Award for Drama. He has an extensive teaching career spanning from Dallas Theater Center to Stanford University. And it's just my pleasure to have you on the show. Well, Thank you so much for... It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thank you, Robin. So tell me a little bit about how you uh, got here to the to the conference and what you're teaching. I'm fascinated by what you're working on with your students. Well, I knew about Catamaran when I was uh, having... Uh, I was a guest speaker at the uh, Steinbeck Festival 
one year that the National Steinbeck uh, Center was producing in Salinas, and I saw issues of Catamaran that were being offered there on, on a table, and I was very intrigued by that magazine, and I wanted to submit something. Uh, but they approached me, actually, about getting an excerpt from the play I was writing for them uh, called Mother Road, and they, they published a, a, a brief excerpt from that. I was very happy to participate in that way. But I still wanted uh, to do more. So when the first writers' conference came around, I applied, actually, as a student. I wanted to take the screenwriting unit that was being offered here. Uh, but they didn't have enough people sign up for it. Um, and instead, the, the, that unit was was closed. And they asked me if I would be interested in applying, say, for the fiction section and wondered if I had any samples I could submit. Well, I've been quietly writing some fiction on, on the side um, these last couple of years. And... Um, and I brought out these these two stories that I thought might be of interest. Um, they loved them. Uh, they they brought me in as a student. I took the the workshop with Elizabeth McKenzie here the first year. Got to know her and Catherine very well. We did readings as well um, in um, <clears throat> um, a, a bookshop in uh, in Santa Cruz, as well as a, a strange, funky little like theater space and. Uh, somewhere out here near <laughs> near the hills on the uh, on the way um, outside of Monterey, mm-hmm. it was really really fascinating. But anyway, that began my relationship with them. They've invited me back this year to come as an instructor, and uh, and and I'm teaching uh, playwriting here, or well, not teaching it, but workshopping the um, and critiquing the works of uh, my my uh, participants. Uh-huh. So it's been fun. That's great. So so you. You wanted to take a screenwriting, but you've written so many plays. Is there a big difference between screenwriting? I'm totally naive about this. Between screenwriting and playwriting, I yes. would think they would be very similar. No, they're not similar they're not. at all. Oh. Screenwriting is is uh, really kind of a, uh, it's just a, a kind of blueprint for a, what is essentially a visual medium. Mm-hmm. It's entirely visual. You should be able to tell the story in in uh, um, in a film um, using the the pictorial image, mm-hmm. uh, uh, whereas in in, uh, in a play, the story has to be somehow conveyed through words, uh-huh. through what the character says. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very character-driven stories, and uh, and the only way to know what a character is going through is um, through words. The character has to tell us, mm-hmm. whether it's a soliloquy or has to express, has to speak up. And in a, in a film, a, a character just has to look intense. And we can see into his eye. We can get an enormous blow-up of the character's face on screen. And we can read all these emotions into the character. Right. Uh, you can't do that on stage. Yeah. Because on stage, um, the nosebleed section isn't going to be able to tell what a character's thinking by looking at his eyes. Because he can't see his eyes. Yeah. The only way to know what a character's going through is if he tells us. Huh. Or, oh. or she tells us. Yeah. So oh. that's the chief di- difference is that... Uh, Screenwriting is 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 always in narrative form because just the nature of of a reel it's it's right. it, it's one image after another mm-hmm. um, and it's a visual medium um, whereas um, theater is, its basis is in ritual and poetry. Ah, oh, I love that ritual and poetry. Talk a little bit more about that. Well, it all started with with with, the, with with ceremony. There were ceremonies that are being performed, mm-hmm. and this isn't just in Greece. Uh, it yeah. was all over the world, in Africa, everywhere, in mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in the Americas. Um, 
it was a way for uh, for tribal lore to be passed on, tribal stories, the, the wisdom uh, to be conveyed, uh, the, for the mythology to be um, made manifest, all around a fire, all around you know a fire, sitting down and and performing these rituals uh, in order to have some sort of conference with the gods. Um, as they became more secularized. Then it became about telling stories about the ancients, about the ancient people, and mm-hmm. why we are the way we are, um, and and that became has become more sophisticated over time. But it's still the same thing. It still is simply about a circle with an actor in the middle and an audience around, uh-huh. and a performance has to happen in which the audience is engaged and become kind of participants. Uh-huh. You cannot have that kind of engagement in watching a movie. No. It's just not. It's not there. Because you can get up at any time and go to the bathroom, go get popcorn, and the movie won't stop. Yeah. The movie keeps going as if you're there. The movie, nobody can has to be in the theater, and the movie can still play uh-huh. from beginning to end, um, which kind of answers the question of, like, if a tree falls in the forest. Yeah. Whereas in theater, everything depends on the audience. The mm-hmm. audience is part of the ceremony. Um, if... Uh, if some if if several members of the audience are having a bad day and they bring that energy into the room, the actors feel it and it affects the performance. It changes everything. Mm-hmm. If the actors are having a bad day, if one of them's sick, it changes the performance. There's just nothing to do about it. It yeah. just is a very uh, because it's live. It's, it just becomes a, a very communal experience where. An, an interactive experience in that way. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Just that coming here last year and taking uh, Elizabeth uh, Mackenzie's uh, fiction class was kind of a revelation for me, and I realized I have some other stories to tell that uh, can be done on stage. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like uh, like I have to. Uh, I, I have another side of me where I'm writing more fiction now. And uh, and that's really kind of exciting for me because I'm so new at this at this fiction deal, uh-huh. very very new, and uh, I come at at it as a, almost like an amateur, <laughs> but but uh, the encouragement I've been receiving has been very very good. Well, you're you're a superb storyteller, so you have the storytelling down. You know, it's just a different form of putting your art into a different kind of way that people can access it, but. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's you know as we were talking last night, writing a story for someone and having them read it, there's a there's a one to one communication with the reader. Even though yeah. you might have thousands of readers, it's it's there's a little more personable or personal kind of connection there, and it doesn't get changed like plays. You know, like uh, the one director might want to do Shakespeare, you know, with contemporary costumes, and the next is going to do it with you know, uh, classical costumes. So, right. you know, you have all those other mixes uh, in in playwriting that you don't have uh, you don't have in a novel or in a story, and that makes it a little more appealing, <laughs> I would say, sometimes. But I mean, I think both ways can be so fascinating. Yeah. But you've done the other for so yeah. many years that now I could see why it yeah. would be a new oh, thing. Oh, it's so refreshing. It's well, refreshing. I only really have to deal with my own voice and an editor. Uh-huh. In the theater, that play has to be ready to have a lot of fingers in it. Yeah. And everyone else's input has got to be valid, too. Yeah. There's actors, there's directors, there's producers, there's designers. Everybody's got to have some kind of input on the work. Yeah. And the work has to be strong enough to sustain that and be able to be pliant enough to be able to uh, 
to absorb those uh-huh. those those other things. Um, what I do is, is 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 as a writer is a solitary thing only up to a point. Yeah. Then it becomes a communal art. Right. I have to collaborate. Yeah. Whereas a novelist has to collaborate with nobody. Right. And, right. and that it can be very enriching. <laughs> Really kind of satisfying. Yeah, that's very exciting. Well, thank you so much, Octavio Solis, for your interview. And I really uh, enjoy uh, talking to you. And I'm going to really look forward to some of your plays. Well, thank you, Robin. It's yeah. my pleasure. All right. This is Robin White Turtle Listening, and the show's Evolve. And we're on Firefly Willows L I V E under Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, we're back. This is Robin White Turtle listening, and I'm here with Christian Kiefer. Yay! <laughs> He's the author of The Infinite Tides and The Animals, which came out just this year. His poems have appeared in several national publications, among them the Antioch Review and the Santa Monica Review. He currently teaches English at American River College in Sacramento County, where he lives with his wife and son. Welcome. Yay! Yay! <laughs> So you've been teaching this uh, this week as I we've have. been at Catamaran. Yeah. How's that going for you? Teaching you... in Pebble Beach. It's like being in hell. <laughs> <laughs> so much beauty. I can't stand it. Yeah. No, it's been wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful, yeah. Yeah, it's been a great class. I've been in your class this week, and mm-hmm. it's just been really interesting to hear other people's manuscripts and where they're from, you know, all over the place. And then you're comments are so rich and helpful. Um, They're not not bitter and angry? No, no, they're not bitter and angry. (laughs) Nobody's cried yet, and I feel like I'm maybe not doing my job right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe we've been through the ringer a few times, I think, most of us. So, So, yeah. So is this your first year teaching here? First time teaching here. Uh Um, I do some of the conference circuit. You know, Uh I'm just kind of getting into it a bit. But, yeah, my first time here. It's my only my second time ever in Pebble Beach at all. I've driven really? 17 mile once. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. It's a pretty beautiful campus here uh, at Stevenson High School. Actually, it's a prep school that we're laid out on here. Yeah. Yeah. Very uh, wealthy-looking school. Yeah. Much nicer than the college that I teach at, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. So you're at American River, and that's in Sacramento? Sacramento, and mm-hmm. it's a huge... Um, Public open access community college, mm-hmm. um, big thirty, forty thousand students. Uh-huh. Um, uh, one of the biggest in the state. Wow! And it serves That's largely huge. an economically depressed population. So uh-huh. we are all united in poverty at this school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, tell me about your books, uh, Christian, because I'm yeah. really, really interested in, especially your newest one. But I know you had a, you had your first book um infinite tides infinite yeah. tides is like uh also had a lot of critical acclaim so yeah so tides um tides i was really interested in in writing a very still book uh-huh. and um uh it's almost uh it's almost a still life like under a dome it's very quiet um Every day of it is more or less the same. There's many chapters that open with him, um, and then he woke up and went downstairs and had breakfast. And uh-huh. it's it's kind of a loop. Um, it's really about a man who can't find the way forward. He's mm-hmm. an astronaut, and he's suffered a tragedy, and he's kind of been put on 
on um, administrative leave, and he is work is how he defines himself, as it is true for many people. Right. And he doesn't know the way forward. So I went from that stillness, and um, you know, when you write novels or even short fiction or anything, I think you try to push to the next, um, the next thing. Like what, what, what could I not do with the first book? What can I try? Like how can I more spectacularly fail? <laughs> and so the next book, I tried to do something with real velocity, mm-hmm. um, something that moved and had a, a clear plot. The first book has a story more than a plot, and the second one definitely has a plot. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. they do bad things. There are guns. There's cocaine, and mm-hmm. you know, um, it also has a split timeline. There's part of the book that takes place in 1984. Um, part of the book takes place in 1996 across two different geographic regions. So, mm-hmm. and it's also sort of a contemporary western in a, mm-hmm. in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. So you went from very still and. But now tell me your idea of how a story is different than a plot. Well, um, you know, I think I think the story is just what happens in the book, and I think uh-huh. the plot is in what order do you give the reader those things. Right. And um, with the animals, I very specifically split the timeline into pieces, broke it into pieces, so you have um, 1996 in North Idaho, 1984 in Northern Nevada, and then back to 1996 and back to 1984. And occasionally you'll have a chunk from the 70s where you get way back in the, ch- in the kids' um, lives. Um, but I did that in part to, to obfuscate the backstory and make it feel um, more immediate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing I hate worse than flashback in, mm. in literature. Um, it's very rarely handled well. Um, it's always somebody staring out the window and, and going, and then I remember that day, you know, and it's fuzzy focus, it's a, you know, and we go back to 1962 or something, but, um, or 1820 in the case of your writing. Right, that, right. right. Um, so I, I, I split the backstory out, you know, entirely out in its own chapters, and I do, um, you know, almost like a Larry McMurtry kind of thing, where it's the same characters, but we are in a way different place and a different time, and uh-huh, uh-huh. and um, so you get those, you get those simultaneously. So there's an immediacy to both narratives, right? Then. Right, yeah. right, right. And that's why I say plot and not story. Yeah, you know? I see. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, I I can't wait to read them. I I've really enjoyed the class, and uh, I I love the way uh, you and Elizabeth. Uh, go back and forth in the class. We've been lucky enough this time here at Catamaran to have two teachers in the, uh, with 10 students, which is like a, such a perfect number as far as I'm concerned. That's great. <laughs> and Elizabeth McKenzie is the other teacher in the class, and, and yeah. both of you have had lots of experience in different places. So. Yeah, and we're we're similar in a lot of ways and opposite in others, so uh-huh. um, sometimes I push really hard on a on a subject, and and Lisa very kindly um, tells me that I'm wrong, <laughs> you know. And then, you know, like we talk about, the the writer keeps their own counsel at the end of the day, and yeah. it doesn't matter who tells you this section or that section needs to get yeah. cut, unless it's your editor who paid you. Yeah. Um, and even then, it's still your book. Right. And you argue for the vision of the book that is that is your vision. Right. And the rest of the people can go jump off a pier. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. 
Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to talk to me on the radio today, and we're going to uh, uh, continue to talk to a few other people. And um, thanks who's, so much. Who's next? Uh, oh, we've got a few. Robin um, yeah. is going to be speaking, and uh, I've uh, already talked to Ellen Bass and Jericho Brown, oh, yeah. and uh, we've got Elizabeth McKenzie coming up. And Great. Uh, a couple others. So, awesome. Wow, yeah. you're getting the whole crew. I'm getting the whole crew. So yeah. It's really fun. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks so much, Kristen. All I right. really appreciate it. All right. This is Robin White Turtle Listney, and this is Evolve. Hi, this is your host for Evolve, Robin White Turtle Listney. And I wanted to share with you a few of the other things that I do in the world beside the radio show. In addition, I'm an energy medicine practitioner in the Bay Area and across the country by phone, and I work uh, through East West Bookshop in Mountain View, California, so you can always find me there on Fridays. In addition, I have uh, five books. Uh, four of them are nonfiction, and one is a fiction book uh, that's actually based on facts called Poems for the Lost Deer. The other books are Heart Path, Heart Path Handbook, and prior to that, Sacred Living and Dancing Up the Moon. Um, my recent, more recent books, Heart Path and Heart Path Handbook, uh, teach people self-love. And this is the foundation of my practice, that love does heal all things. You can find out more uh, about my work on my website, www.thecenterforthesoul.com. And uh, you can also check out the books on www.bluebonebooks.com. And now we'll go back to the show. Hi, welcome back. This is Robin White Turtle Listening, and the show is Evolve. And uh, I'm here today with Jericho Brown and Ellen Bass, uh, who are two of the poetry teachers uh, here at Catamaran Writing Conference. And we're in Pebble Beach, California in this gorgeous location, <laughs> this amazing campus here at Stevenson School. And uh, I wanted to let people know that Ellen Bass is the author of several books of poetry, including The Human Line, Mules of Love, and her most recent work, Like a Beggar. Her poems have appeared in hundreds of journals and anthologies, including The New Yorker, The Atlantic, The American Poetry Review, the New Republic, the Kenyan Review, Plowshares, and The Sun. She was recently awarded a fellowship from the National Endowment for the Arts. And Jericho Brown is the recipient of a Whiting Writers Award and fellowships from Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study at Harvard University and the National Endowment for the Arts. His poems have appeared in The New Republic, The New Yorker, and The Best American Poetry. He is the author of two books, Please and the New Testament. And uh, Jericho is going to be reading from the New Testament, and Ellen Bass will be reading from her book, uh, Like a Beggar. So, welcome. I'm glad to have both of you here today. And uh, I wanted to talk about your work. Uh, I was, uh, We went to the reading last night with both of you presenting, and um, I loved both of your poems so much. It was so great to hear your work. Thank you. And... Um, uh, so, how are you enjoying the conference? And tell me a little bit about what you're teaching, because I'm not in your on your cl- class this year. 
<coughs> Great. Well, maybe you should start. Tara. Okay. Well, thank you. I want to say first, thank you for having us and for yeah. asking us to do this. Sure. And I should say thank you to Ellen too here on air because I wasn't scheduled to be a faculty member here. And she called me and she said, hey, you should come co-teach this class with me. Mm -hmm. Uh And so what I love about this is that I get to do it with Ellen Bass. Uh Um, And what we're doing is we're sharing um, a class of about 22 poetry students uh, where we we split them up and we workshop with them each day. Um, I, I take 11 students. Ellen takes 11 students, and we just swap them back and forth every day. But before that, we're teaching them in the morning. These are three-hour classes here at the conference, and so we have one hour where we do a craft talk with them as a whole large group, sort of like a big class group. Mm -hmm. I sort of like that idea, and I really love that we're um, working with so many people who are crazy about poetry in the same way that we're crazy about poetry. I wish teaching could always be this way, where you're, you know, doing it with someone so that whenever you have an idea, you can sort of make a pass and they can say, yeah, we should try that. Or they can say, well, maybe not. (laughs) So I like, I like that. Um, I have a, a, a co-teacher on this trip. That makes it really fun. And I, I'm so grateful to Jericho for coming and making time to do this and, and your schedule and flying all the way out from Atlanta and, we have such a good time together, and uh, it makes teaching so fun. Mm-hmm. And we do. We have a, a wonderful group of poets who are passionate and excited to learn and really receptive and uh, and insightful. And we got off to a great start today. Yeah, and what I loved about even just the first day is Ellen asked each person is, you know, you do that thing where you go around the room and you say your name and you say where you're from. But She also asked them to say the name of a poet that they're reading or that they love. And everybody had a poet. (laughs) You know, there was no, we didn't get to anyone who was like, I don't read poetry, but I'm in a poetry (laughs) workshop. (laughs) These are people who are here for a reason. And they know the reason. They've set an intention and they they really want to make the most of their time here, right. and they are lovers of poetry. They mm-hmm. want to write it, but they also love to read it, mm-hmm. and they believe in it. And mm-hmm. that, that's what I love most about yeah. doing these kinds of things yeah. and being here in particular. Yeah. So. One of the quite wonderful things in my class today, which also shows, I think, how um, sophisticated and informed a lot of these um, developing poets are about poetry, is that they brought poems uh, that they knew had problems. Mm -hmm. They didn't bring the work that they thought was their best work that they could then impress everybody with. Mm -hmm. And quite a few people brought poems and said, I brought this poem because I've been struggling with it and I really don't know how to work with it. Mm -hmm. And that takes a certain level of maturity Mm -hmm. and uh, inner strength Mm -hmm. to be able to put out something that you know has has difficulty and is not working so Mm -hmm. that you can learn something Mm -hmm. instead of putting out something that you feel good about and then you can just be admired. Mm -hmm. So that that was a really, there are many wonderful things that happened in the class this morning, but that was Mm -hmm. one that impressed me. Mm -hmm. 
That's fabulous. Yeah. Well, of course, it was the workshop for, but to really bring yeah. mistakes that you're mm-hmm. trying to work on and trying to perfect. And mm-hmm. so, but it is a very vulnerable thing, especially in a class of 22. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's a big class yeah, for, a poet, for any poetry class. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, I think vulnerability is the key word, right? Yeah. That's what workshop is always about yeah. because you're going to sort of quite literally bare your soul uh, yeah. to people you often don't, you have never seen before. And uh, But it's it's poetry is the place where it is through vulnerability that we yeah. gain strength yeah. and power, exactly. right? It's through intimacy. It's through letting our guards down that we actually become better at doing what it is that we mean to do when we write a poem and when we share our poems and when we participate in workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I haven't gotten tired of workshops just yet. I know a lot of people who are sort of down on workshops. And even here at, at this workshop, there's been a lot of conversations about, you know, where they are of use and where they're not of use. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I what I like about the conversations is that there's still that part of it that everyone understands, well, there's something about this mm-hmm. that does work. There's something about having the community sit and talk about the same piece at the same time right. that changes either you as a writer, if not the piece, right. which is really important. Well, and don't you think that workshopping poetry somehow is a communal experience anyway? Like when you read a poem, um, you can tell when you read it that it it doesn't hit with the audience, or it does hit with the audience, and it can be different audiences, but but you kind of know when it's uh, right down the middle of what you're wanting to say and what the audience can then experience from your work. And so I think that for me, what I love about poetry is it is a communal activity, whether you're polishing your work or trying to work like the students are here, you know, where we're trying to participants are trying to get better at their writing or whether it's in a, a critique group, um, I think it really benefits everybody to share their work and share it at whatever stage so that you can kind of figure out where the poem needs to go sometimes. Sometimes I have to speak them before I can, mm-hmm. you know, uh, ha- before I can hear them myself. I have to speak them to somebody else to see where it's landing or how it's landing, you know. So anyway, that's my final Absolutely. Thought. Yeah, I had a very wise student once who said, I, she said to me, I don't learn very much from what you say to me because <laughs> I'm I'm so subjective and, and inside myself so defensive, but I learn an enormous amount from what you say to other people about their poems, uh-huh. and then I can apply that to my poems. Uh-huh. And I thought she smart. was yeah. really smart. And yeah. very honest because yeah. it's, it's tender. Yeah, poems she so said, tender. I can hardly hear anything you say to me, but yeah. I can hear what you say. Others and yeah. and then I can apply. You can use it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that's one of the the best things about workshop. And what I always try and do in the workshop is, especially more recently. I mean, I've taught for for a lot of years, and and more and more I try and use the poem as a way not just to talk to that particular student who wrote that particular poem, but to use that poem as a way to talk to the whole group. Mm-hmm. And and I actually do that explicitly a lot and mm-hmm. say, you know, yes, I'm, I'm talking to Sue, but this really applies to all of our poems. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if you haven't been listening, start listening now because, you know, this is you're going to see this in your poem, if not this one, in the next one. Mm-hmm. And this is the principle. This is what we want to be 
looking for here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, great. Well, I'd love to have each of you share a poem if you'd like to read, and um, and let's do that now if that's good for you. Yeah, I'll read. Um, I'll read the first poem in my new book, The New Testament. Coliseum. I don't remember how I hurt myself, the pain mine long enough for me to lose the wound that invented it, as none of us knows the beauty of our own eyes until a man tells us they are why God made brown. Then that same man says he lives to touch the smoothest parts suggesting our surface area can be understood by degrees of satin. Him I will follow until I am as rough outside as I am within. I cannot locate the origin of slaughter, but I know how my own feels, that I live with it and sometimes use it to get the living done. Because... I am what gladiators call a man in love, love being any reminder we survived. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, that's that's why I come to someplace like this, to get to sit next to you and <laughs> hear you read that poem live. You know, sometimes I just feel like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God! I'm sitting next to Jericho Brown reading Coliseum, yeah. and I get to be in this world mm-hmm. with that happening. Yeah. yeah. And right next to you, and here's Robin, and we're talking about it together. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's uh, we're, we're Jericho and I were talking a little bit earlier today about uh, you were talking about your first entry into really recognizing that you were going to be a poet and um, that we, you know, this is a dream. Mm-hmm. It's a dream mm-hmm. to yeah. live in poetry mm-hmm. and to be this close to it. And and uh, I felt it when you were reading last night, just, you know, this is, this is it. Don't, mm-hmm. don't, uh, don't take one second of it for granted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is really it. Yeah, Yeah. and it's just like what we were saying. We said we drove here together from Santa Cruz. And um, one of the things that we were saying was, one of the things I said was, how many people really get to live the life that they choose to live? Right. Like we're actually, (laughs) we're we're part of that minuscule percentage of people who are actually doing what they dreamed of doing. Mm -hmm. You know, we're actually living the life that we meant to create for ourselves. And uh, I'm grateful for that all the time. Yeah, that's fabulous. You want to read a poem? Yeah, I want to. Saturn's Rings. Last night I saw the rings of Saturn for the first time, that brilliant band of icy crystals and dust, mirrors shepherding the light, collecting it like pollen or manna or pails of sweet, clear water drawn from the depths of an ancient well. The gleam poured through my pupils into this small, temporary body, my wrinkled brain in its eggshell skull, my tunneling blood, breasts 
that remember the sting and flush of milk. Saturn, its frozen rings fire white, reflecting the sun from a billion miles. Maybe there's a word in another language for when distance dissolves into time. How are we changed when we stand out under the fat stars of summer, our pores opening in the night? The earth from Saturn is a pale blue orb, smaller than the heart of whomever you love. You don't forget the poles of the earth turning to slush. You don't forget the turtles burning in the gulf. Burger King, at the end of the block, is frying perfectly round patties. The cows off I-5 stand ankle-deep in excrement. The television spreads its blue wings over the window of the house across the street where someone's husband pressed a gun against the ridged roof of his mouth. This choreography of ruin, the world breaking like glass under a microscope, the way it doesn't crack all at once but spreads out from the damaged cavities. Still, for a moment, it all recedes. The backyard potatoes swell quietly buried beneath their canopy of leaves. The wind rubs its hands through the trees. Wow. Thank you so much. Well, it's such... She's good, huh? Yeah, she's good. You're good. It's great. You're really it's good. Yeah. You're really, really good. Yeah. Very proud of you. <laughs> good. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Well, it's so fun to have both of you here, and at some point, I'd love to do like a whole hour with each of you because, um, you know, there's so much to talk about in your work and in your incredible accomplishments and poetry, so thank you thank both you so for much. being here well, and being you. part of this conference. Thank you, and, and thanks for um, uh, doing these interviews so that people who don't uh, aren't here at Gatamaran Conference can know a little bit more about it yeah. because it really is being very special time. It yeah. is a special time. I'm just so enjoying it. So thanks again. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so right. much. So we'll be right back. This is Robin White Turtle and the show is It's All. So I'm here today with Robin Hemley. He's published 11 books and his work has appeared in publications including the New York Times, New York Magazine, Chicago Tribune, and many others. He is the winner. Uh, he is the winner of the Guggenheim Fellowship and many other awards. Robin directed the nonfiction writing program at the University of Iowa for nine years. He's currently writer in residence and director of the writing program at Yale uh, NUS. And you were saying that is in Singapore. So that's a program. That's a special program in in. Uh, the university? Yeah, we just, um, the Yale uh, and the National University of Singapore uh, started a collaboration several years ago to make the first uh, liberal arts school in Singapore's history, and uh-huh. they asked me to direct their writing program, so I've been there for two years. And oh, great. great. Yeah, you like Singapore? I do. I like it a lot. Uh-huh. It's a very comfortable place. It's very expensive. It's the world's most expensive city. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, and you're um, here. You're teaching uh, memoir and nonfiction. Or? Yeah, I'm teaching creative. What's you know creative. commonly called creative nonfiction. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. There's, you know, memoir uh, is is a large part of it, uh-huh. and not not all, the only part. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So for our listeners, um, some of whom are in the arts and in writing, and others may not know what that is, could you explain a little bit about uh, what cre- what the umbrella of creative nonfiction encompasses? And- well, I mean, creative nonfiction is a, a term that I'm not even that crazy about. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, when I, I like to just refer to the to nonfiction and the parts of nonfiction, so which in, it's such a large genre that it includes memoir, but not only memoir, but essays, travel writing, uh-huh. food writing, mm-hmm. um, literary journalism. Mm-hmm. So just so much, uh, and uh, it's. But people often think of creative nonfiction as uh, uh, they often conflate it with with memoir, but mm-hmm. it's much more than that. Mm-hmm. But to define it, it's it's tough to define. I mean, there, uh, it's like defining poetry. There are so mm-hmm. many different types of poetry. Right. There are an, at least an equal number of different types of nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's a kind of literary nonfiction mm-hmm. uh, that care, ideally uh, is as uh, attuned to the use of language as poetry and fiction. Mm-hmm. So there's another kind of so-called creative nonfiction that's been coming into its own of late called the lyric essay, which is mm-hmm. as much like poetry as it is like narrative. It's much more like poetry than narrative nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More like um, prose poems and things like that? Similar, 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 but, but, but longer, form. longer, different. I mean, mm-hmm. prose poetry I often think of as um, some of the practitioners of prose poetry have a more surreal bent, you mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. uh, some great prose poets like uh, Russell Edson and uh, well, going back to Mallarmé and all mm-hmm. that, the, the, um, they're, they 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 have a kind of uh, you know uh, irreal or surreal kind mm-hmm. of quality to them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not necessarily the case with the lyric essay, mm-hmm. and it's not always the case with prose poetry too. But it's a bit different. It it really has an anchor in the in the world around us. More than sort of uh, a dreamlike, imaginative world of the prose poem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And here at Catamaran, you're teaching a class uh, in creative nonfiction, and uh, that includes the memoir, because I know yes. one of my friends is taking your class mm-hmm. and really is enjoying it a lot. Great. Um, and she's working on a memoir, but others are probably working on other projects, or is it pretty much all memoir this time uh-huh. around? Or? I mean, there, there's at least one lyric essayist in there, uh-huh. and um, other people who are maybe doing a little more towards literary journalism. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I'd say largely memoir. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, and uh, you're enjoying the campus and oh, yeah. gorgeous I mean, place <laughs> we're in, in Pebble Beach. To, yeah. I know, it's like, oh, Pebble Beach, I guess we're doing all right. Too many trees, too much ocean. <laughs> Who wants that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> We're, we've been complaining nonstop. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, now, do you have, I, I would imagine if you're in charge of writing programs and things, you have publications of your own. Have you had books recently? or? Yeah, I, mean, I think my last book was 2013, but yeah, uh-huh. I published about 11 books. And, uh-huh. uh, I started out as a fiction writer and have moved towards nonfiction, but I'm going back to fiction again just finished a new novel uh-huh. and and also a collection of essays but uh-huh. 
I also have written a couple of uh, craft books. One was one that's been in print for 20 years now, oh, called really? "Turning Life into Fiction." Oh, and, great! Yeah, great, great. So, um, so yeah, I've I've written a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and the programs you're you've taught in are quite excellent. I mean, the University of Iowa is probably one of the number one programs in the world, yeah, <laughs> not yeah. just in the country. Yeah. And I'm sure that the Yale program uh, at the National University of Singapore is pretty outstanding, too, so it's pretty fun. Yeah, it's, I've, yeah. I've been fortunate in that way to yeah. teach really wonderful students and to have good colleagues, too. Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. Well, Robin uh, Hamley, I so appreciate your interview, and we're going to um, talk to a few other people that are part of the Catamaran uh, Conference, but I'm just delighted that I'm here, and I'm delighted to interview you, and thanks for your time. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it. Okay, great. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye. This is Robin Whitechurtle-Lisney, and the show is Evolve. Evolve, nurturing the new in consciousness, the arts, and culture, with your host, Robin Whitechurtle-Lisney. Evolve brings you people and ideas on the cutting edge of change, opening the shells of the past, to move our culture into the now. We are all in great need of sustainable ideas for change. Evolve brings you the wise, the foolish, and the heart-based to help us meet the challenges of our times. Join us the third Thursday of the month at 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Evolve. Welcome back. This is Robin white turtle and I'm at Catamaran Writing Conference. And with me is Elizabeth McKenzie. She is the managing and fiction editor of Catamaran Literary Reader, which, of course, sponsors this great conference that we've just been involved in. She's the author of the novel McGregor Tells the World and short story collection Stop That Girl. Her fiction has appeared in The New Yorker, The Atlantic, Best American, Non-Required Reading, and recorded for NPR Selected Shorts. Welcome, Elizabeth. I'm so glad to have you as part of oh, thank uh, you, Robin. this interview. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Nice yeah. to be here. So you are teaching the fiction workshop uh, as, along with Kristen yeah. Kiefer. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so wonderful to have uh, to be in that workshop. I mean, I can speak from personal experience because now <laughs> we've completed the, the time here. But um, how was that experience for you as a teacher? I mean, oh, it was really fun. Last year I taught alone this you know, Christian and I decided to do this class together this time, and he said stuff I never would say. I said stuff he never would say, but, like, I was, you know, it made it really fun for me to be bouncing ideas off of him about the work, and, you know, hopefully for you guys in the class, it added another dimension to have two teachers. It did. It was so rich. I've never had a class where there were two teachers, and, you know, I finished grad school a few years back, so... It was like, oh, this is so rich because they're bouncing off each other. Yeah. Well, we had both, he and I had both been at Swanee where they have two group leaders, two instructors in the same class, and we both liked that. Mm -hmm. So there, so Mm -hmm. we thought we'd try to transplant that over here. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's so great. And you write uh, short stories and you have a novel, right? That's right, yeah. And um, you have something with you, don't you? Well, actually, I could read since you asked, yeah. um, just a page from this new novel that's coming out next year, yeah. The Portable Dublin. Um, I'll just yeah, I'll please go do. for it. Go for it. Uh, I'm just starting in the middle. Um, the Passenger Years is the name of the chapter. 
It's one kind of trouble to kiss your fiancé goodbye in the morning and immediately turn your thoughts to another man. But it's another kind altogether if the other man has been dead for nine decades or is of the genus Scurus. Until this engagement, Bevelyn thought she knew what she was about. By 30, she had managed to put away the simmering loneliness of childhood, finding relief in things outside herself, such as in skillfully tending family members who are scattered and needy and become a becoming a secret expert on the life of Thorsten Bevelin. To ward off uneasy feelings that crept in, at unguarded moments, she'd drawn upon a wide array of materials and activities, keeping up with all major periodicals of the day, typing along to Norwegian films, clipping interesting pictures from magazines for some future project, taking brisk bike rides. And then came Paul and the whole enterprise of their future. Escapist feelings at this point showed a serious breakdown in self-discipline and strangest of all, right at the moment she should be happiest. An analyst might ask her to start with her earliest memory. Her mother would insist she go to the doctor for a thorough workup. A philosopher might take a prod at her facticity. An anarchist would suggest the trouble lay with the state, and a social critic, such as Thorsten Bevelin, would be sure to mention the many ways her instincts had been thwarted as a citizen of her age. A few quiet sobs made her feel moist and self-pitying. When the squirrel was around, she felt grounded, real, at ease. Did it matter if relief came in the form of an animal who stuck around and seemed to care? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, I really enjoyed the faculty reading last night where you were reading uh, <laughs> parts of this book, and it was just so funny. Um, and also, there's such a richness um, about this animal-human communication that you've got going with this uh, squirrel, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Animal communication is important to me. Yeah. <laughs> so how did this book come about? Can you talk about it a little? Sure. Um, I mean, I think I finally figured out where it was spawned, because um, you forget sometimes, but um, it was my father who was in a Part of this novel takes place in a clinical trial in a hospital um, for veterans um, suffering from brain injuries. Mm-hmm. But um, So I actually have an interest in brain injuries and, and veterans' issues um, in itself, but I also was drawn into the clinical trial scene when my father had cancer mm-hmm. about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And he was invited to be in a clinical trial, and my sister and I both um, basically misunderstood the nature or the prognosis of the trial. Mm. And we met with this very fancy, shiny doctor who sort of sold us on the trial. And um, he actually went through some stuff that he didn't really need to go through and passed away soon after. And um, we did, we were mad at ourselves, I think, for not really understanding that mm-hmm. this wasn't about a cure. We just desperately were hoping, we were grasping on anything we could. Of course. So I transferred that anger um, into this novel, actually. Uh (laughs) I started with um, the doctor in the hospital and a trial. Um, Separately, I'd been working on notes for a a novel about a woman who's obsessed with Thorsten Veblen, and it all came together there. Uh uh Wonderful. It's a great concept. Mm. Well, I just want to say how much I enjoyed the the workshop that we were in and how um, the advice and suggestions that we got from uh, you know, how to find an agent to, you know, what you do with your writing and writing prompts. I, I just really enjoyed um, all of that and learned a lot, you know, and at a certain point when you've been writing a while, you think, 
you know, one more workshop isn't going to make a difference. But these really made a difference. And I heard that from every participant, you know, like that they really got a lot out of the workshop. So it was really Oh, that's fabulous. wonderful. So. Yeah, I mean, I myself wished I could have been in another workshop here because <laughs> I think you, no matter where you are with your writing, you need constant reminders and, you know, a path in front of you to right. go down. So. Right, right. Um, and encouragement because yeah. I felt like we, we all got a lot of great encouragement, real sincere um, encouragement from uh, the teachers and also from fellow students. Yeah, you know? everyone in the class was very smart and generous. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, that was really great. Yeah, yeah. Well, and as managing editor, are you managing editor? I am yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you oversee the whole of Catamaran and how it's put together in the magazine. Yeah, I kind of work alongside Catherine uh -huh. on. on Basically anything and everything that comes up uh -huh. for the most part. I mean, she does every absolutely everything. Uh -huh. <laughs> but um, yeah, I try to help where I can. Uh huh. That's yeah. so wonderful. Well, uh, it's a great magazine. It's got an incredible, um, beautiful visual as well as literary aspect to it, which I really appreciate. Me too. And yeah. uh, that's Catherine's doing. Yeah, so. yeah, amazing. Yeah, artwork that yeah. goes into it. So it's fabulous. Yeah, it's bringing so much to my attention that I never would have known about, you uh -huh. know. So, yeah, I'm really happy to be working on this magazine. Yeah, yeah, that's so great. And it's right in the tannery, right yeah. in Santa Cruz, right? where we do so many great art things there. Yeah. So. Well, I really appreci appreciate your time, and Elizabeth, and I really appreciate the conference. It's been a wonderful opportunity for everybody. So. Thank you, Robin. It was wonderful to have you in the class, and I, you know, I'm really glad yeah. that you asked me to come over here and talk. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, thanks so much. Okay, so I've been talking to Elizabeth McKenzie, and the show is Evolve. This is Robin White Turtle listening. Thank you for joining us. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Carousella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for our live on-air call-in show, Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.